Now we come to God's Word, and we're returning to our fall sermon series, which you might remember is called The Rise of the King, through the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, a couple of things I would say about that. One is this, these texts that we're reading, we're not taking the time in the service to read every word of every chapter. For example, today we're going to address three chapters, reading the first half of the first chapter, the last half of the third chapter. That means we're leaving out about two chapters in between. That doesn't mean that it's not important. What I'm trying to do, in addition to preach the gospel, is to give you the flavor of the book of Samuel so you'll understand it better in your own reading and in your own study, and hopefully you'll be motivated. You'll benefit the most if you come regularly to worship. You'll benefit the most if you read along with me. Uh, down in point C on your outline, the takeaways tell you the chapters to read for the next week. So in a moment, we'll address portions of 1 Samuel 18 and chapter 20. We won't even read from chapter 19. I'll make just a couple of comments about it, but you'd do well to read those as well. Plus, on your reading list, and you thought you were on Christmas break, I'm going to give you a song to read in a few minutes. But a quick review of the book. You can read, so I'm not going to read every word there, but I put together a review of the eight messages that we've had so far. Remember Hannah? She was infertile. She couldn't get pregnant, and she was mocked for that and sought the Lord, and the Lord answered her prayer. That's not to convey that he'll answer every infertile woman's prayer in the same way. But this was a special part of redemptive history. Through him came the prophet and priest, her son, Samuel, who would be a kingmaker. He anointed the first king of Israel, uh, King Saul, and uh, David as well. Stuck in, be in between there before uh, the rise of Saul is what I've, for fun, entitled Ichabod Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark when I gave that message because there's almost a pause button in the book of Samuel which for several chapters it makes the point that the Lord is able to fight his own battles. The, uh, the ark is taken into captivity, and the people of God think, oh no, what are we going to do? And it's very evident in ironic and humorous ways that God's still in charge, uh, particularly with the, if you might remember, the episode with the idol in the temple, Dagon, what happens there. Okay. And then better not call Saul. They wanted a king like the nations. And his job qualifications, tall and good-looking. That's ultimately why he was picked. Not very good reasons. And it doesn't work out very well for anybody concerned, quite frankly. Um, the blessings and baggage, then, we see uh, when he's anointed, right at the beginning of his ministry, before even publicly he's made king, that's the, that's the peak of Saul's kingship. That's the very best of his 40 years of being king. It's kind of all downhill from there. And then uh, between what you read some there and then the blame shifting that occurs in chapter 15, I believe it is, that's the one that we've been talking about, even reviewing a little bit at Christmas. 
incomplete obedience is no obedience at all. And if that sounds harsh, you know, he, in desperation, he, he reaches out and he seizes the prophet Samuel's robe and tears it. So desperate and clinging is he clutching at power, trying to grasp, seize it. And uh, it becomes symbolic that the kingdom is going to be torn away from him and his descendants ultimately in the same fashion. And so I think I told you all this in the fall that determining King Saul's eternal destiny is above my pay grade. I, I don't make that call. But I told you that I have my doubts whether he will be with the Lord in heaven, whether he is with the Lord in heaven, and whether he'll be with us on the new earth. The more I read, the more I study, the more I prepare these messages, the more I doubt that he had saving faith. Yes, God used him. Yes, even the Holy Spirit temporarily came on him, even to the point that he prophesied because of the pervasive influence of God the Holy Spirit. But he was a people pleaser, a blame shifter, and a, a vow breaker, and he had murderous intentions in his heart. I don't think he's going to be with the Lord, but I'll leave that to the Lord to deal with. Then finally, we, we, we meet David. And then last time we were together before Christmas, we addressed that great story of David and the giant, David versus Goliath. And many of us, when we read that story, which is so famous, or we read it to uh, kids in Sunday school or a children's storybook Bible in your home, and you read that story, and we put ourselves in David's place. You see, see, we ought to be like David. We ought to be brave and strong. Whereas the real message of that story, and I'm convinced of the entire book of 1 Samuel, is not that you or I are, should put ourselves in David's shoes. It's that the Lord raised up a deliverer, a king in David, and ultimately that just points to the greatest Davidic king, the true son of David, the true anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus. And so it's not that you or I are David or we should be like David, although there, he had good qualities we might want to emulate and terrible sins later that we don't. The good news of the gospel is that we have a king. We have a king who brings us the victory. And uh, if I were to paraphrase some of the message of the New Testament, Jesus in essence would be saying to us, don't you worry about that old snake. I already whipped him. He's going to get there. So don't worry about it. Well, that brings us here to today's passages in uh, chapters 18 and 20. And this is about, by the way, just to give you a little feel for it, we're going to meet somebody else. The three major characters, I've already talked about them in this book, are Samuel, the prophet, Saul, the wicked king, and David, the heir to the throne. Those are the three stars, the three major players. But there's other people, like Hannah. And here, today, we're going to look at, again, Jonathan, the crown prince, the man who you would think next would be king. Also, one thing, one thing to keep in mind, when I've read this story in the past, I've always thought that uh, David and Jonathan in this marvelous friendship that we're going to read about, I've always thought that they were peers in age. One of the commentators that I read, he did the math. 
and he figured it all out. I'm not going to do the math for you. Again, uh, show you my work. I'm just going to tell you the answer. He uh, estimates that Jonathan is actually much older than David, 27 years old when David was born. So this isn't a peer mentoring relationship. This is actually kind of a discipleship relationship in which Jonathan, the crown prince, is mentoring the up-and-comer, David. I hope that makes sense to you. Let's read God's word, starting at chapter 18. Uh, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel, all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. All right, pause button for a couple reasons before we continue reading. Uh, Number one is that last phrase that David went out and came in before the people. I can't remember the reference. I've given it to you before. But earlier in the book, somewhere around chapter 10 or so, that's what the king was supposed to do. The difference between a shepherd and a cattle rancher, the shepherd is supposed to go before the sheep, leading them. The cattle rancher drives the herd from behind. And remember even the battle of David and Goliath. Where was Saul? That's part of that story too, right? Who should have gone out to face the giant? The biggest guy in Israel, the king of Israel, who was supposed to go out and lead the people of God into battle, that was his job description. And he didn't do it. And a teenager did it. So that's one reason for the pause button. The other pause button, I guess, is, like I say, we're not reading the second half of 18. We're not reading any of 19. We're not reading the first half of 20. And you need to see that stuff. 
There's just not time for us to do that together. But if you do that reading on your own, you're going to see some more of the same, but you're also going to see David's humility, and you're also going to see... Um, remember that TV sitcom? Some of y'all, my, my, my wife and I, we enjoyed it. Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Some of y'all remember that one? Nod your head if you do. I don't see that. Yeah, okay, some of you did. All right. Everybody Loves Raymond. You know where the show got the title? Who said that? Everybody Loves Raymond. Kind of grudgingly. It was his brother, right? Because he, Raymond was kind of a, a fair-haired child, right? The, the golden boy, right? Well, that's what happens in some of the, the end of 18, 19, beginning of 20, is Jonathan loves David. Michael, the king's daughter, loves David and protects him. And the people, the, the soldiers and the people, the women that are praising with tambourine and all that, everybody loves David. There's only one person that doesn't. Unfortunately, he happens to be the king. So you need to read some of that stuff for yourself. All right, now we pick up in our reading chapter 20, the latter half of chapter 20 or, or so, latter third. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. So the king's mad at his own son now. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? Who is the son of Jesse? David, just seeing if you're with me. And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse, he won't even say his name, lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why? Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him. He's done it twice before to David. Now he does it to his own son to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Pause. You do some of the reading in between. You'll, you'll see that David is like, your dad's out to get me. And for a while, Jonathan is going, no, nah, man, what are you talking about? You're paranoid. I don't think so. Yeah, he tells me everything. I, I'd let you know. Well, now this happens. And he, he realizes daddy's got mur murderous intentions. Verse 34, Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month for, because he was mad about his dad. Because, you know, it looked like he may not become king. No. He was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to the appointment with David. All right. I got to hit the pause button again. Pardon me. So they come up with this system, right? So David's saying, your dad's out to get me. And Jonathan's saying, no, man, everything's cool. Everything's cool. I'll let you know. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do a little test. And you, you go and feel it out, the situation, and, uh, and then we'll come up with a signal, and you'll let me know. And the signal involved his doing archery and sending a boy ahead and all that. You can read those details. Uh, so in the morning, Jonathan went out in the field to the appointment with David with him, a little boy. He said to his boy, run, find the arrows that I shoot. And the boy, as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows, came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. 
Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, carry them into the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, with David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 